Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kim Winter, Global CEO of Logistics Executive Group. Thanks for joining us for another vodcast today. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Logistics Executive TV, and make sure you never miss uh, one of our episodes. Hopefully, we're bringing some interesting people into your lives during this pandemic period and uh, hopefully adding some value to your understanding of supply chain and some of the things that are happening around the world. We're facing, of course, unprecedented times and whereas most businesses are either being heavily uh, impacted or affected in some degree, um, some more than others. But, uh, changing the, uh, the narrative a little bit, we today have uh, the CEO of Seafood Soup uh, and overall great guy, Sean Dennis, um, who's joining us in Dubai. Sean, welcome and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Kim, thanks for Amber Justice Executive. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, nice to do something different other than plugging away at computer all day, uh, which we've been tied to since all of this started. I guess a little bit about me, uh, slightly different background from the average man. Um, lived pretty much all over the world since I was born, uh, born in Hong Kong, predominantly in the Middle East uh, as a child, sort of Jordan, Fajira, Yemen. Uh, briefly Dubai, uh, then into Switzerland, then back here, then over into the Americas, where I spent sort of a fair amount of time in Central America, up in North America as well, before returning here. Uh, obviously, you can tell from my atrociously uh, strong English accent, I'm originally English, but only spent a few years of my life there. Um, been in tech most of my adult life, although not supply chain, that's something I've stumbled upon, I think, probably in the last couple of years, but from a tech perspective or tech background uh, with Seafood Soup. Prior to this, uh, it was actually blockchain technology or distributed ledger technology for enterprise use. Uh, it was a company called Loyal that I started with, uh, with a co-founder focused on loyalty and rewards industry. Um, although what that did do is open up my eyes to the possibility and uh, the application of blockchain for supply chain. So whilst not primarily focused on it, it was something that was on my radar. Um, not that we use blockchain technology yet as sort of a, as a caveat with Seafood Soup, but it, it's something that sort of started to get me interested in the industry and, uh, and sort of led to my inevitable diving in down the rabbit hole and uh, have had no life since starting the company. Thanks, Sean. And you've uh, you've got a uh, a business you've got you've got a business partner as well. Yeah. So yeah. So myself, um, obviously being from the tech background, so I'm co-founder and CEO, and my co-founder Shikhar Um He is local Emirati uh, from Sharjah. Um, fantastic to have sort of a, let's call him my, my second head almost, uh, very difficult thing to do that we're doing. Um, if I was doing it by myself, I don't think I'd be able to manage. So whilst I bring the tech and I guess the day-to-day -day running side, he brings the, the finance, the corporate governance and sort of a lot of the bigger picture side of things as well. So fantastic to have him sort of as chairman and uh, running that side of it, and me sort of running the day-to-day -day internal stuff. Um, we came up with the idea, actually, inter interesting story in its own. I'm sure sort of every startup has a sort of own, their own origin story, uh, which is always interesting. But we, uh, a friend of ours approached us who owns an oyster farm, and the phrase I'll always remember is, there has to be a better way for me to sell my oysters. 
and so over multiple uh, multiple drinks down at Dost, I think it was, um, through looking for a solution, we decided to jump in and uh, and start what was basically an online marketplace uh, focused on seafood. The reason for seafood was it's the I believe the highest value most highly perishable item traded globally or among a few and with a large amount of fraud um, as well as inefficiencies in the supply chain. So the benefits of having a marketplace where you have multiple sources of origin as well as multiple product choices, um, cutting out a number of the unnecessary suppliers and players along the value chain was very evident to us. So we embarked on, let's call it probably between nine to 12 months worth of customer conversations and limited build to establish whether there was actually a market need for this. I think, again, your audience is definitely going to come from more of a supply chain focus, however, coming from the startup background. I think there's a big mistake that a lot of tech startup founders do where it's come up with a great idea and don't necessarily validate no, don't necessarily validate it well with the market, and as such, end up building something that they need to pivot from uh, very very quickly or early on. So we we established yes between buyers, between suppliers, between uh, between aircraft partners that we were going to be working with that there was a requirement or a need or a niche, I guess, that we could fit into because it definitely could be. Not even could be argued. Uh, seafood is definitely a niche uh, industry to be focused on. Although GCC, it's worth approximately three point eight two billion dollars a year. So whilst it is niche, there is a sizable industry that we're focused on. Um, I guess actually this leads me on to a bit of a sub- segue into talking about seafood, which is what I'm here for. So I'll jump into that if that's right. Just on that, Sean. I mean, uh, tell tell us perhaps a little bit about the way that the supply chain has traditionally worked um, in, well, in your area of expertise in the UAE, um, what has been the traditional modelling for supply chain here and and what is the difference that uh, Seafood Soup has brought to the market here? Mm -hmm. But typically, and and this is the same globally, you go to a restaurant, you go to supermarkets, there's a relatively, and it's more pronounced in restaurants, there's a relatively small choice of seafood um, and you quite often see, whilst distributors cover the majority of food groups that they work within, you quite often see specific seafood distributors pop up because it is such a highly differentiated or specialized product. And that was something we kind of learned fairly early on, um, whereby typically in legacy systems, a distributor will purchase fish or seafood and again, Frozen, not so much of a worry, but fresh, you're dealing with seven to 12 or 14 day shelf life on a product. So they will buy products in the hope that they will be able to sell them within that shelf life period onto their end or their B2B, their B2B obviously, onto their consumers. Whilst sometimes it is done knowing the specific volume that their clients want, so they will order for them, quite often, Um, they're buying on a punt that they'll be able to sell. So they will buy, they will buy specifically what from a particular supplier that they have a relationship with, therefore getting better prices, let's say. And this again is not unique to the secret industry. This is, I think, uh, I I guess it's, um, 
it's a result or a side effect of the globalization that we've seen. You've seen China come out as a world leader in manufacturing in various different industries. We have, through globalization, come to rely on single source markets. And I think this COVID-19 period has enabled us to be able to bring to the forefront that that is dangerous. Whilst we do have economies of scale or economies that we can benefit from lower prices, it's dangerous. And that's where the marketplace comes in. So the distributor would purchase the seafood, hold it in a warehouse, and then bring it out. Where we, and bring it out to the consumer, where we differ is using a just-in-time model through the marketplace. You, as a business buyer, come onto our platform. You will peruse the products that are available, make an order that goes directly through to the producer or the supplier. They acknowledge the fact that they can supply the product. And it then bring, we then have oversight throughout the entire supply chain through first mile, middle mile, and last mile. The last mile is particularly important. I think that's something where a lot of, a lot of businesses fall short on providing an efficient or a traceable, traceable part of the supply chain and straight to the buyer. So one, the buyer doesn't have to spend all day calling up the multiple different distributors within their country. They just go onto a platform and are able to uh, are able to look at all the different products available. So save time. Chances are they get a better view of market pricing and products that are available within the market, so they can make a better choice. Three linked with the second one, they don't just have the price of the fish. I I want to buy salmon, and it is thirty five dirhams a kilo, for example. They get information on all the farms, the farm, the specific one that they want whether it has this, whether it has this. So they can buy a product which matches their ethos as a business. So if you are a specific restaurant, for example, you can choose a supplier. So I think a big part of globalization and with the legacy distribution model, we saw commoditization of fish no more in the field of salmon, for example. Salmon has been highly commoditized and suppliers are desperate to... I guess almost decommoditize it, which it should be. Um, it is an individual product. There are different practices implemented by the farms, which should be showed off to you, the, the business buyer, so you can make your choice. So from the buyer side, cheaper, more time efficient, and they get better shelf life because we operate a just-in-time order. It doesn't come through into a warehouse with the hope of selling it on to you. It comes direct to mm-hmm. you. Um, there is the option for value-added services or processing as well, whether you want it filleted uh, or straight as hog, for example, um, that can be added into the supply chain. Sure. But so, doing, so just sorry, on yeah. that, Sean, I just want to jump in. So, what are the some of the um, what are some of the challenges you face with any new supply chain, any new entry into a, into a supply chain? Um, there's always speed humps and roadblocks and what have you. How have you find, found things from a legislative point of view, um, compliance perspective, and perhaps uh, a couple of words on the competitive uh, scenario as well, how, how you found uh, competition in the market around the space? Yeah, no, good for sure. I mean, so when we first launched, we anticipated a fair amount of competition not in the form of other tech players but where we wanted to avoid is 
we want to be seen as not a competitor to distributors, rather an enabler and with the ability to sit upstream and or downstream uh, from the distributors. Um, relationships in any industry are still important. And when you create an online marketplace, the relationship is not necessarily there. You as a restaurant owner might want to call up someone and have, have that relationship, be able to get something delivered that day. That's not something as a just-in-time ordering platform we're able to do. So rather than being seen as competitors to distributors, we've actually seen a good number of distributors start to order on our platform, which gives them access to better pricing, which they can then pass on to their end customers. So we, and especially when you're ordering internationally, there's MOQs or minimum order quantities applied. A small restaurant typically orders, let's say, 25 kilos a week of, of a product of salmon. That is not sufficient as a single order to buy direct. So they will generally have to go through a distributor or someone on the ground who is bringing it in for them. Sure. That's where they sit. They maintain that relationship, and then we go from there. So nice. in terms of competition, we're very lucky. One, we have first mover advantage on the tech side. Two, um, because of a lot of the other work, not just as a, as a marketplace, but with supply chain, with traceability, and with the digitization projects we're working on, we're sufficiently far ahead, I think, that we'll be able to work with anyone as, as they come on. Um, in terms of regulations and uh, jurisdictional requirements, obviously, we are set up offshore in ADGM, the Abu Dhabi Global Markets, uh, for our IP and for our holding company. But have a trading company in Dubai. We will open up one in Abu Dhabi um, and then any other countries as we expand <coughs> from there. Mm. Even though we don't use warehousing space or our own warehousing space, we are HACCP registered. Uh, we do abide by as many of those as we can to be able to tick the boxes required. Uh, yes, it is a fairly lengthy process to make sure you get recognized. One thing we do have as an advantage here, again, um, my co-founder being Emirati and being closely linked with the government as well, we've made sure that when we set up the company, it was in line with the UAE's food security initiatives um, in order to make sure that we can help the government. So rather than starting to figure out, okay, cool, we're a private enterprise. How do we get permissions to do this? How do we do this? We actually looked at what the problem was and said, how can we address and how can we help you guys? So we've, since inception, worked very closely with Her Excellency Miriam, uh, Minister of Food Security in the UAE, um, as well as other various government entities. Um, and we were very fortunate to get a partnership with Emirates Cargo. Um, actually, I mean, effectively pre-launch uh, with this because of the efficiencies that we were able to bring into, or we are able to bring into the, the value chain to help and work with Emirates Cargo. Tell us, um, thanks for that. So, so tell us a little bit about the way you've uh, you've been marketing. And you, you've been in the market how long? Um, I mean, we started this 18 months ago, but okay. I'm realistically, so, I actually say we kind of launched hard at uh, right. the beginning of the year. So reasonably fresh in. And, and tell us a little bit about the, the marketing journey and, and any lessons you've learned, or obviously we want to be sharing with the audience any, uh, any gems of wisdom 
any ideas or any uh, means by which you've found traction that may assist other tech plays or other e-commerce companies or, or for that matter, any other food supplies uh, at times like this? So maybe a little yeah. bit about that. And, uh, and it's slightly different from, sorry, I just lost my screen. It's slightly different from a lot of the standardized e-commerce plays in that we are strictly B2B rather than B2C. I think when you're dealing B2B, the need or the marketing requirements are very different and probably less or more targeted. Uh, so whilst we have been in the same way that you guys, just executive, um, are doing now, creating a fair amount of content, which would be shared, let's say LinkedIn and papers, uh, has been sort of probably the predominant um, form of marketing interviews and getting written up in, in articles. Uh, we're very fortunate uh, to be, I guess, and we always say this, fortunate during these unfortunate times to find ourselves in a field or industry that is particularly important for governments or countries now, which is food security. Um, so that has enabled us to create pretty important alliances or partnerships with various groups uh, that effectively give us or let us in the back door without having to market very extensively um, to different groups. Obviously, as a startup, funds are not infinite. Um, actually, even with multinationals, funds are definitely not infinite these days. But where we watch the pennies, where we spend them and where we don't have to, we don't. So we've been very active with media, uh, almost more as PR rather than marketing. Although on social media, we are, we are platforms, we are fairly active. Thanks. So, so, I mean, an interesting story. You, the, the brand has made a big splash here. Um, we see you, I wouldn't say you're ubiquitous across the market, but certainly um, for the market that you're penetrating, I certainly see uh, some quite good targeted marketing across uh, the various online spaces here in particular. Um, how have you found... Um, the, the, the acceptance of, of your process and the way that you are offering your services to the market compared to what your customers, B2B customers, have previously experienced? Are you getting any feedback on, on how you're rating and on what your customers are looking for more, for more of? Yeah, it's, I know that's a really interesting point of what to, what to look at. Yes, we do. We actually, um, the nice thing about the platform is it's pretty sticky. Uh, once a buyer starts using it, unless you want to pay more money and you want less choice and you want less fresh product, for example, then you're going to continue using it. So the education process is definitely, let's not call it steep, but it, it's not it's not as straightforward as a B2C e-commerce onboarding, like client onboarding. Um, obviously, there's there's a fair few sort of factors that you need to get through to go to onboard a customer. Likewise, because there are seafood especially, it's, um, it's an industry that's very much stuck in its ways historically and has seen little to no innovation for a long time on the sales side, whilst we've seen a lot of innovation on the production side. Um, so there is a fair amount of education on that, but once once people are on, yeah, it, it's uh, feedback has been really really good. 
we constantly get tested and quizzed on uh, on the quality quality of the products as well that we we talk to our customers. The lovely thing that we do do, and it's a separate sort of product. So think of in a number of verticals we have actually three verticals that you can split secret soup into. One is the source to business platform or source to business vertical, which is seafoodsoup.com. That is you as a business buyer buying direct from suppliers regionally or internationally. Um, the second product very much linked to that is called SFS Trace. So that is a product which provides full supply chain traceability uh, throughout the journey of the fish. Um, we've actually just, or we're just this weekend, I believe, launching our first iteration of that for B2B2C. So one of our, one of our bigger or one of my favorite clients, Salmontini, uh, they're the UAE or Dubai based smokehouse for salmon. Um, they are putting the QR code that we produce for SFS Trace for them onto their packaging. So the end consumer, is able to go and when they make the choice, we'll be able to look at the box or the package, scan it with their phone and see the entire journey of the fish. So for me, that's great because one, Samantini or our business buyers know that they are getting the product they are paying for. Um, but the end consumer is now going to feel confident in the quality of that product. And our Samantini as our buyer is able to use that QR code and use SFS Trace to market to his consumers, which is a dream for me in terms of market reach. So eventually what I want to get to is consumers go and look at fish products. And if there isn't an SFS trace code on there, why not? Is that because something is not right, for example? And again, this is not something which is a problem just regionally. This is global. They estimate one in five items of seafood is mislabeled globally. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually we actually put out a blog and not that long ago, and I can't remember the exact stats on it, so I won't put it out there so I don't get misquoted, but a fair few amount of times when you think you're eating tuna, you're actually eating something that's nicknamed Laxford the Sea, which is in itself quite a worrying name, yeah. Um, so you see, traceability is something that is important, not just in the UAE, but a global issue, and I think it's because of that we've seen quite a few different companies uh, startups as well as multinationals focus on this issue of traceability and where we're lucky, I guess is the wrong word, but where we're uniquely positioned is that through having the e-commerce of the online marketplace, we're able to economically incentivize the suppliers to provide that traceability on their end, as well as provide the supply chain traceability because we have independent oversight of it. So we can almost act as the network orchestrator or an independent overseer of the product coming in. We can then, as a trusted entity, provide through to our business buyers. And it's something that's not just in seafood. Um, we've actually, and this is something I thought would come far later down the line, um, but I mean, as with all things startup, it happens way quicker than you think. Um, we're sort of on a train just holding on as tightly as we can to make sure we keep <laughs> up with the progress at the moment. But um, we've been approached for the use of SFS Trace for other non-seafood products to provide traceability and supply chain for them as well. Uh, so we're talking agricultural projects or farms and some meats is a secondary project as well. So. It's an opportunity for us as Seafood Soup to monetize SFS Trace as a product, but also as a technology that we've created, 
bring better quality and or oversight of supply chain to the end consumers, which is fantastic. Sure. sure. One of the original uh, Merino um, clothing brands out of New Zealand, as I recall, probably about seven or eight years ago now, but they're still going very, very strong, um, provided a, a tag with the, the serial number and the, and the photo of the sheep and what have you. And you, you get actually traced back to where yeah. the, the merino wool came from. So I guess that's the same sort of um, providing that same sort of spirit or that same sort of connection back to back to the origins of the product. Tell that's me, um, awesome. sorry, yeah, t- tell me a little bit about, I mean, you were uh, one of the original Dubaians from, uh, from way back, uh, not only well-known in the region uh, for your tech plays and, and your tech entrepreneurship, but also in, um, in maritime and, and certainly the surfing community here um, and, and all things beach. This uh, mm-hmm. Dubai has such fantastic, well, the whole of UAE has such fantastic beach facilities. And I noticed them uh, you know, recently uh, featured on CNN. But you, you also are very well known for uh, your environmental and sustainability approach to business and to life. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you've woven into Seafood Souk your concerns and approach to sustainability. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay, yes, exactly uh, sort of to your point, sustainability is a major focus for us and sort of at our heart, a big part of the ethos of Seafood Souk and the company we've created. There's multiple fronts of sustainability that we are focused on or where we're able to help. Um, In the supply chain specifically, um, again, with seafood in the UAE, it's 20 to 25% wastage of local catch within the supply chain. And believe it or not, that's actually quite good uh, globally in terms of a record uh, compared to many other countries. A number of other regional countries are double that in some cases, which is incredible. So not only are we overfishing our oceans, we're also wasting up to half of that on the supply chain once it's, once it leaves the ocean, which ugh, I, mean, I, I hate that that still happens. So the work we can do to help with that is, is, is massive through having it digitized, through having um, a more efficient supply chain with minimized stopping points, the better. But also comes into, and again, with this COVID-19 stage we're getting into, the fewer points where your product is held by different hands and different stocks and where it's maybe the cold chain risks being broken, the better. And that's, again, where we we operate through a just-in-time ordering process and with multiple sources of origin, we're able to help with that. So on the digitizing and minimizing waste on the supply chain is one major issue. On a data collection side is another way we can really help with sustainability. So right now, we fish our oceans as much as whatever our capacity is, for example, to match whatever the demand we think is for a product. The reality is, because the sales process or purchase process, I guess would be the right way to look at it, is non-digitized, there is it's very difficult to get accurate data on what demand is for a certain product in real time. Our aim, as we are digitizing local fish markets here, um, starting with, and this will launch soon, as we're currently digitizing now, Sukhojaban and Sharjah, 
and we're in discussions with other Emirates as well to start digitizing those. But the idea being that we will effectively be able to digitize and interpret demand in real time for fish. So you as a fisherman, for example, again, this is further down the line once we get full integration with the fisheries, will be able to view, right, this is the demand for this fish. It's dropped off, therefore I should fish this fish. So there's less danger in them overfishing a certain breed where demand is not that high, for example. Again, we'll end up with less wastage, um, which I think is especially in this, this climate and this region, particularly important. Mm -hmm. We're never, from a food security perspective, going to be able to produce enough seafood for our population unless we demolish our environment. Uh, mm -hmm. So we need to have like protect what we have as well as create efficient supply chains for the international products that we do bring in. So if I hear you correctly, you know, that it's the, the capture of data, um, the analysis and, and utilisation of that data is, is really assisting on cutting down wastage, um, mm -hmm. assisting in projections so that uh, supply and demand and the supply chain are, are much closer aligned. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Sure. Talk, talk to me a little bit about um, these strange times that we're currently in. I mean, you guys have been going well in advance before pandemic days hit us um, and uh, as a major hub in this region, as a major air freight hub, which I presume is where uh, all of your product is being transported and, and imported. Um, what has the effect of the pandemic been in terms of uh, supply uh, uh, supply of air cargo resources and capacity and uh, how has it played out in terms of your relationships with uh, with the carriers that you use? Mm -hmm. um, so we've actually again to sort of, yeah, reiterate that we have been very fortunate during these unfortunate times and I think it has serviced to highlight the need or the requirement for a digitized supply chain that we we have implemented it ah, sorry that we have implemented and operate um, we we saw uh, I mean a lot of products simply stop coming into the country when Turkey for example the border shut with here Baston Breen effectively stopped entering the UAE we through having a marketplace were able to switch almost immediately to Cyprus and a number of other like source country or source countries of origin to bring that same product into, into the UAE. When we looked at a lot of the other operators within the UAE, the ability to switch or the ability to maintain agility was definitely slowed compared to the operation of a digital, uh, digital supply chain. Where we can help distributors, buyers, suppliers get into different countries one, it's easy from a supplier's perspective. It allows them to tell their message. It's an extra sales chain. Um, it's easier communications, easier transaction, and easier market entry or lower barriers to entry to come in. From the buyer's side, we, even during, I guess, the worst part of the pandemic in terms of borders closing, uh, I think it was probably two to three weeks in, um, we were still able to get 93% of products that were available on the platform into the country. So with minimal um, minimal side effects is the wrong word, disruption. 
uh, to service, which is great. We did find, and there was one uh, we were exploring, this is, again, something I didn't expect to go through as a startup, but it was pretty exciting, looking at chartering a plane to bring product in um, because there simply weren't any planes coming in. Obviously, cargo planes during peak pandemic period were definitely being used predominantly for pharma or pharmaceuticals. Food security or food was a close second. That's close, probably slightly distant second. Um, so using PAX planes or passenger planes, which were far more expensive because their load uh, capabilities are, are less, quite often was not an option. Uh, we actually saw the price of products go up in a time where we needed products to be cheaper because people aren't going out to restaurants and things like that. People are scared of losing their jobs. It was it was quite a responsibility on our shoulders to really help maintain pricing um, at all costs. And we were lucky um, to have played in this field with a good number of the other incumbent uh, suppliers within the UAE to make sure that we did bring or were working together to, to book enough space in planes, which was fantastic to see. So on the, on the relationship side, this period has actually solidified relations with a good number of these distributors or larger players with us, because I think we got recognized as, okay, these guys are here to stay um, and we can work together. And to we were able to do it. Um, our systems spoke for themselves and the fact that they were agile enough to make sense to actually continue functioning. Mm. On our buyer's side, interesting point, I think, on the buyer's side, there's been a good reset um, in how business is done during and now in this, like, let's call it optimistically, the post-COVID stage. I think that's being far too optimistic, but um, post the worst of it, let's let's hope, inshallah. Um, where existing ways of doing things may or may not be jumped back into. And I think there's a real opportunity for us now to start new relationships that we would not have been able to or would have been a slow burn to be able to get into. And now we're finding ourselves being approached by these groups um, about how we can help and how we can work with them because people are desperate to avoid this happening again. Speaking within government entities, it's now... This is a reality. How do we make sure if this happens again, we don't get caught? Um, so it's been really good to see the governments and larger companies are taking the initiative to prevent this or work towards not letting this happen again should sure. we go through another pandemic. Sure. So if we, if we pan out um, a, a little bit from um, seafood and, and e-commerce, uh, I know that you... Uh, have been and are still uh, a mentor for a number of tech plays of uh, a range of the government platforms here because um, the Dubai in particular has a has a very heavy emphasis on uh, digitization of the economy uh, which has been an extensive amount of progress made in recent years and continues to be so um, so so you're a mentor for a number of startups and, and, and tech plays if you were to offer um, if we look at the amount of businesses out there, and as we know, during the last few months, there's been a massive uptick in e-commerce in general, um, not only across the traditional areas of e-commerce, but right the way through into retail, of course, with 
a lot of uh, click and collect and, and a lot more home delivery and people working from home and not being allowed to socialise and mix and even attend offices and what have you. Um, if, you if you were to offer a couple of uh, pieces of advice to up-and-coming tech or e-commerce players um, purveying their products online, um, from your experience, what, what a couple of the uh, gems of wisdom that you think you could pass on to our audience and people who are either in the e-commerce or, or venturing onto e-commerce with various products and services? I, I can offer it, yeah. I can offer you... <laughs> offer it from two two different uh, perspectives. I think one is the business being a mental head, and the other one from me as a consumer perspective. From the business side, I think what we've seen over the last couple of years, and there are now because of this pandemic and the rapid growth in a lot of e-commerce or supporting companies around the e-commerce space, we're seeing growth but non-functioning business models are actually struggling to uh, keep up without losing too much money. What I mean by that is when you do or if you do enter this space, make sure the unit economics work before going out and raising a lot of money. We've done it with Seafood Soup to make sure that we are uh, before we grow, grow, grow. And we're now at the stage where, yes, this works. Now we can go. I think what you see in a lot of these tech companies specifically, and this is not specific to, to regional or local here, um, they lose money. Just look at Uber, for example. I mean, hugely successful company in terms of valuation growth, but the unit economics just didn't work. And I think 10 years ago, um, that was ignored because data was king and is still king when it can be monetized and used in the correct way. But I think we're seeing a real change in interest from the venture capital side, but also from a market acceptance and understanding of it. Um, even the last mile delivery apps, for example, there's been a lot of media attention on those ones where the amount of money that's lost per transactional, per delivery, is incredible and the hope is that you take market share to such an extent that you can control the market but where you're actually paying or the deliveries are being subsidized by the investors unless it's really short term i think those days are gone there's an amazing um blog or yeah blog or article that was written i forget the author but the title if anyone wants to google it is the next hot startups are camels, not unicorns, um, which I love. And it's not targeted towards Middle Eastern startups, but I love the analogy that it feels like it is. We've actually got it framed up on the wall over there. Um, and it's ones where you unicorns obviously raise, raise, raise valuations up over a million dollars. Camels are the ones that raise enough to survive, keep profitability within reach, and then grow at an accelerated, aggressive, but steady, steady rate. A little bit more akin to what we'd be used to in the standardized or traditional business model. Make money rather oh, than uh, pay this to better get. Oh, and steady wins the day versus uh, the racing rabbit. Exactly. I mean, tech for the sake of tech, I think those days are gone. Um, and again, and I'm saying this as a career tech person, but I've always been a proponent of make sure that you know economics, make sure your idea is viable and that it can make money, I believe, rather than hope and 
apply the um, the softback sort of model, which I think a lot of us can kind of see, unless you get very lucky, is a very difficult model to follow through with and put to work. And then on um, on the me as a consumer or with my consumer hat on, if anyone can solve the issue of when I order something on an e-commerce platform, put in my address where I don't have to receive a phone call from the group that is sending it to me, confirming my address, then have to get a WhatsApp message and then reconfirm my address in there again. If someone can figure that one out, that would be <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen that on Twitter come up so many times. So I'm definitely not, I'm not alone in that, but I, Wow, there's got to be some solution. <laughs> I'm sure you have. I, I'm a bit surprised you haven't come up with a solution you're going to tell us about <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, I'm far, far too busy and losing too much hair very quickly to be able to jump yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Sean, you've, um, you've you've been very busy uh, in most of your life as, as an entrepreneur, as I said, and... Uh, I see, you know, this is really on the fast track with, with Seafood Soup, just going back to, to that business. Uh, what do you see in general terms as the potential? Um, are you guys going to stay focused on uh, on this area here in the Gulf or do you have uh, other plans? I know you're talking about, it sounds like you've got interest in terms of some of your traceability for other products. Um, what What's the plan for the partners in the business moving forward over the horizon of, say, maybe the next two or three years? Yeah. Uh, no, that's a good, solid timeline that we can work with. Um, yes, regional expansion is very much on the short-term timeline. So whilst we are currently UAE, um, and obviously that is our home and headquarters, we are already working with a neighbouring or regional country, Um and we'll enter that this year. We are looking at Saudi. Uh, we'll probably start looking at Saudi in Q4 2020 with the idea of entering towards the end or Q1, um, as well as a number of other countries as well. So GCC focused for the minute, um, or sorry, UAE focused now with GCC expansion plans. Beyond that, we shall see. There's the opportunity um, from a scalable perspective where licensing could be explored. But I think if we're looking one to two years, GCC for sure. Thanks for that, Sean. Uh, I, I guess to, to wrap up, I'm, I'm interested to, to hear from, from all of the uh, specialists that we are in supply chain, um, people that we are talking to globally, um, a little bit about a roundup on advice for other business people. Um, the audience watching and, and, and listening and, and being involved today, maybe a, a bit of a, a tip from you in regards to just general business. Um, I know you're an extremely positive and motivational guy and do a lot of motivational speaking around the place. Um, maybe a tip from you, one or two things for the people to keep and carry with them as, they, as they're doing it tough at the moment. A lot of businesses are certainly doing it very tough. We're not through this yet. Uh, a lot of countries around the world, including this region, are, are opening up, are really pushing to bring down the barriers, to take down the borders, to get the planes back in, in the air and uh, get freight happening again, get the ships on the oceans, get the containers full. From you, perhaps, as an experienced business player, um, not only in the tech space, but just in general business, 
maybe an idea or two from you about things for people to remember and encourage them on just at the moment as we as we fight our way through this period? It's mm, a lot of responsibility on that one. Um, let me try and think. Okay, well, on a personal level, and I know this is not for everyone, but I get up every morning at 5 a.m. to start my day, whether that means you jump out and work uh, or do something else, which I do, but I'm a massive proponent of getting up early. I've got a stupid amount of energy, so I've always been like that. Um, but I find your ability to attack the day is tenfold if you've started at five or four, between five and six. Um, I usually get up and exercise uh, straight away um, and try and get out in the water before work if I can. Obviously, that's a bit difficult now with everyone under lockdown, but I was doing the aerobics videos, well, not aerobics, insanity videos in my room when we were not allowed to leave our house. Try not to imagine that. Um, and then on a on sort of a more of a business front, I think the the real key, and again, most people watching are in supply chain. So we, we all find ourselves in a very hot topic field now. And whilst, yes, there are struggles happening at the moment within certain fields, supply chain is going to lead what is a globalized world out of this, in my opinion. Um, we are at the core of everything that will happen within the next month or so. I'm not sure sort of how exactly to articulate this, but it's more important more now, more now than it ever has been, I think, that we focus on digitization, we focus on a new type of globalization and a more efficient supply chain in every industry where a supply chain exists. So that was my macro macro potential piece of advice or thoughts. No, no, I appreciate it. I mean, you've been around and you've been some very interesting places and, and been involved in a whole range of interesting projects. I think what's affecting us all and what brings us together and is common to us all at the moment is, is a massive challenge. And, uh, you know, all the advice that we can share and information and views that we can share, um, the better. And I, I know you are a bit of a, uh, a fitness freak, so um, I'm sure that's it's really good advice for everybody. Um, so, look, to, to wrap up, um, you know, Sean Dennis, Seafood Soup, really do appreciate your support and spending some time with us today. Uh, to our audience, uh, I trust that Sean's been able to shed some light not only on what they're what he's doing in the tech and e-commerce space and the food security space, but also in general business. Um, as always, we pass our, our respects to all of the people keeping the supply chain moving during these, uh, these challenging times, all the operators, all the service providers, um, and of course, in the broader spectrum, to all the people on the front line keeping us safe. Um, dealing with the, uh, the, the mental and the physical and medical issues um, right across the world. Uh, never before has anything really united um, society and business in the last 30 or 40 years at least, um, the way this whole thing has. So respects to everybody really going the extra mile. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Um, please stay safe, keep your distance and uh, look after each other. We'll see you again on another podcast. If you want to know more about Sean's business and, and uh, maybe contact him, then uh, in our comments section below, uh, we will put some contact material there for you. Stay safe. Thank you.